Specialty Story Session Number 112. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I want to thank you for taking some time today to listen to this amazing interview that I have with Dr. Donna Mendez about being a pediatric emergency medicine physician. Now, Donna and I have a great conversation all about how to become a pediatric emergency medicine physician and her path through pediatrics and then through the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Fellowship. And we talk about what she likes about it, what she doesn't like about it, what her day looks like, the types of patients that she's seeing, and so much more. If you're interested in pediatrics or you're interested in emergency medicine, check out this interview and then check out next week's interview as well, where I talk to another physician about his job as a pediatric emergency medicine physician, but it's a little bit different because he did a combined peds and emergency medicine specialty or residency rather. And so a little bit of a different path to kind of doing the same thing, but he can also see emergency medicine adults as well. So check out this interview. I hope you enjoy it. We start the conversation with what got Donna interested in pediatric emergency medicine to begin with. Okay, so I kind of went the long way around it. I did a internal medicine for a year because I thought I wanted to be a neurologist. Mm. And then I did a, I did that one year of internal medicine and I went for my second choice, which was pediatrics. And then when I did pediatrics, I was like, this isn't challenging enough. I want to do either ICU or emergency medicine. I really like the acute patient. So then I switched to pediatrics um, I did three years of pediatric residency. And then when I was in residency, I did emergency medicine uh, elective and um, really got interested in emergency medicine. But um, I think I was just like overworked, overtired uh, at the time. And I just decided to do pediatrics. And then in retrospect, I thought, well, you know, I probably could have done adult emergency medicine and dealt with the adults. But um you know, I don't. I don't know. Every time I see an adult, uh, because we see up to age twenty-one, then I, mm-hmm. then I have second thoughts. I'm like, well, I'm glad I did pediatrics <laughs> because adults tend to, they bring it upon themselves with their chronic mm-hmm. illnesses. Yeah, it's a very common sentiment that I hear from from uh, physicians who are in pediatrics that the adult world they they just can't get over that. I don't know if it's uh, a, a bias or a judgment or whatever it is that it's like. Well, yeah, you have liver disease. You've, you, you're an alcoholic, and and like the the sympathy kind of leaves at some point, and and right or wrong, that that's good that you know that, and and so you go to something where you don't have those judgments. Right, right. So pediatrics. I mean, the patients are, you know, usually not manipulative as much mm-hmm. as adults. You know, nowadays they want their MRI, their CAT scan. You do get it from the parents, but they're very wholesome. Um, they um, are, are very fresh and happy. And, and when you do have a sick kid, um, uh, it's very challenging and it can be very disheartening if something goes wrong with the child. But, um, I feel like 
there's more of a chance um, in changing the child's uh, health care in the future, whereas an adult, mm-hmm. it's really hard to make a change, the behavioral yeah. change. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to go back uh, a little bit. You mentioned starting off doing a a prelim year for internal medicine with a thought of going to be a neurologist. Now, my wife's a neurologist, so I, I understand that path. I want to know that the thought process behind what what triggered you to go, to, to think that this, that wasn't the right path. Well, I didn't realize it until I actually practiced emergency medicine, but I do like instant gratification. Mm. And neurology, you don't get that, nope. you know, maybe for the strokes, um, but for all the chronic debilitating diseases, there's not a quick fix. Yeah. And um, so I really enjoyed that, like being able to just, you know, do CPR and, and, and see the patient get revived or, you know, you give a bolus and the patient gets hydrated and they look better. So um, I just felt like maybe it'd be a delayed gratification, but it just, it just wasn't for me. Yeah. What was it about the intensity that you were looking for thinking about going into the ICU or some sort of critical care stuff uh, that eventually brought you to the emergency room? Uh, I did look at lifestyle. And so, uh, you know, they say that now uh, ICU doctors have more of a set schedule because they're doing shifts now, like emergency medicine does, Mm -hmm. but it's not um, as well defined yet in all hospitals. So um, the lifestyle was better for for emergency medicine. I think that's why, you know, a lot of people are attracted to emergency medicine because you have shift work and pick you. You can be on call for 48 hours. Um, You know, you're not necessarily on a shift schedule, but you're on call for a long period of time. Yeah. The restrictions okay. went for medical students and residents, but it didn't seem to go for the attendings. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's something I talk a lot about. The students don't really realize they complain about these uh, uh, work hour restrictions or, or the lack of them, uh, potentially, depending on how you're looking at it. And I always try to remind them, I'm like, once you become an attending, there's no regulations. <laughs> you can work as much and as long as, as they'll let, let you work. Right. And, and you see that with a new faculty mm-hmm. uh, because they want to you know, get compensated for the time they spend on their charts after the shift's over. And (laughs) it's hard to explain that. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's cute. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I can understand. I mean, I was so grateful to get paid extra just for the extra hours we do. Yeah. Because that's how it is now. Um, It didn't used to be that way when I first started. I'm sorry my age, but we were told we were salary and we work as many hours and just be glad you have the salary. Yeah, get the job but done. But it's changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What traits do you think lead to someone being a good pediatric emergency medicine physician? Uh, I always remember this story. We had an applicant not too long ago, and um, I mentioned to him that you know I he was he was actually emergency medicine applying for PEM, and he was I was telling him that you know I really like ER because I have that adrenaline rush and. I, I like it when my my heart starts beating fast and I may skip a beat. And he told me, well, you know, you can take medication for that. And I was like, but I don't want to take medication for that. I enjoy that adrenaline rush. Um, I enjoy, um, you have to really enjoy um, being under stress to do this type of job, which is kind of strange, right? Because a lot of people don't like stress, but um, it's, you have to be multitasked. You have to be 
calm during a code situation. Um, you have to be uh, a team player because you're dealing with nurses and respiratory therapists and um, you know people that are not physicians. Um, I always say that people that have ADD love the profession <laughs> because you're constantly getting interrupted. Yeah, that's true. So I, I think when I first saw that I was going to talk to you, I I saw pediatric emergency medicine and thought, hmm, I, I didn't know that was a thing. And when I went through training, I remember having a pediatric side of our emergency medicine department, but it, they were pediatricians. They weren't emergency medicine trained or they were family practice docs as well. What what percentage of of emergency rooms or emergency departments rather do you think have actual trained pediatric emergency medicine physicians? I think now it's it's probably about seventy five percent. Oh, good. Uh, we do have community physicians that uh, are general pediatricians that work at some of our sites, but they're still not able to like do the critically ill uh, patients if they if a patient needs to be intubated, it has to be somebody subordinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the adult emergency medicine physician will take over. Yeah. So um, I think um, it's going to change so that probably 100%. Because, uh, I mean, there's there's not very many. It's a very competitive fellowship. So I think if they open more programs, it'll eventually be probably 95% will yeah. be subordinated. For the future emergency medicine physician listening to this, someone who who just thought I'm going to be an emergency medicine doc, they they potentially are hearing about pediatric emergency medicine for the first time, and they're thinking, well, well, why can't I, emergency medicine? I should be able to take care of uh, of birth to death. Why why do we need pediatric emergency medicine physicians? What would you say to him or her? Um. I've had to justify this because I'm a director of uh, a fellowship, like why we need uh, uh, to the ACGME, why we need more spots. And so basically, um, yeah, they've done a survey looking at emergency uh, medicine physicians, and they actually don't don't feel like they, they actually give adequate care for pediatrics because they're not specialized. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just just that in itself is saying something for our profession. And uh, I think that it's, you know, if I did emergency medicine, I think a lot of our emergency medicine residents feel like they need to spend more time in pediatrics because they didn't do pediatric residency. So they go on and do like neonatology elective or a PICU, another more um, another uh, rotation in PICU or in the emergency uh, department as a sub I basically kind of like, but um, a pretending. Yeah. They they do that a lot. So I think that um, pediatrics is, it's not just a small adult. So there are a lot of things, especially like cardiology that are different um, and, and just, um, just the common bread and butter of pediatrics. Uh, they're not exposed to uh, a lot. So I've heard that um, they always feel like they need more training, the emergency medicine physicians. Yeah. What types of patients are coming in to to be seen by a pediatric emergency medicine physician? Is it typical bread and butter emergency medicine cases? Are there, are there certain pathologies, diseases that are coming in more often than others? Uh, a lot of it's, you know, your upper respiratory infection, your bronchiolitis, your asthma, mm-hmm. Um, then since I work in a, um, 
academic institution. We have in a lot of our subspecialties, such as, you know, the cardiac kids that are hypoplastic hearts and nephrology patients are on dialysis. And um, we have rheumatology and we have a dysautonomia clinic. So um, there's, it's different because I do work in the community too, like one or two shifts a month. So usually in the community, it's your bread and butter. It's your just general uh, like the same as emergency medicine, but we don't have heart attacks and we don't have strokes. And mm-hmm. but you have the the diarrhea, the dehydration, um, the fever workups, the sepsis, and the respiratory. But um, you know they usually don't have like multiple uh, medical problems in the community. But you will see them have multiple multiple medical problems when they come to the academic institution because mm-hmm. the parents already know that all the subspecialties are there uh, to round on them. So um, they know to come there. Like a lot of the heart patients will have like um, the congenital hearts that have had surgery will have like, maybe they have um, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy and then they have a VP shunt and then they have seizures. And so they have multiple problems, kind of like a little adult. Mm. For you, what was the decision to to be in academics? It sounds like you do spend a little bit of time in the community, and so you you kind of have your feet in both worlds. But what what keeps you in academics more? Oh, I, I just love education, and I do love research, and um, you can't do that in in the community. And so, uh, unfortunately, you know, we don't are not like ad- adult emergency medicine where the pay. Uh, scale is a lot different if you do academics versus community. It's a lot higher in community. Um, so they always have trouble filling the academic spots. But in pediatrics, basically, the, the pay is the same. So uh, I really don't lose out on any of that. And even if it was a big discrepancy, I probably um, would still do academics because I still get like, um, I get really excited about like teaching and it's very gratifying to the residents, the fellows. Um and also um, doing research. Yeah. So okay. I do more clinical research and educational research. Okay. What does a typical day or a typical week look like for you if there is one? Uh, usually, I mean, it's a pretty good, you know, people ask how many days I work and it's like, well, I, I work, I work five, you know, to seven days as my kids tell me, they're teenagers, <laughs> but uh, they're always like, you're always working. I'm like, no, I'm not. I, I only go to the ER like maybe three times a week, you know, uh, our shifts vary. They just changed it to eight. So I really like the twelves or the tens because I didn't have to go into the ER as often, but, mm. um, I do other things, you know, I just, you know, I work for the, on the fellowship and do schedules and do, you know, talks and presentations. And so I think that, uh, I've heard that there's less burnout if you do, um, you know, a variety of research and education rather than just going to work every day on a shift in the ER. So um, I, uh, our schedules, unfortunately, uh, we do one third mornings, one third mids and one third nights. So we may have all those three different types of shifts in one week. And so um, you may go from a morning to afternoon the next day and then a night the next day Mm. and then have a day to turn around and then, go back to morning. So that's some places do it so that you have, if you have enough faculty that you do all nights one month and you do all days and mids. But unfortunately, if you're in a, we only have like uh, 12 faculty that are PEM uh, subordinate. So it's hard to make the schedule like that. Yeah. Interesting. But I try to get all my nights together. 
That's good. You know, like like do three or four nights in a row and just get them out of the way. Yeah. Now, I'm assuming as an emergency medicine physician, call for you is non-existent. Right. We're on backup, but, um, you know, it's, you're not, you're not basically on call. You don't have, you know, if they don't call you in, then you're not on call. What is, what does backup mean? Can you explain that for someone like who doesn't if somebody, know? If, if somebody gets sick and they okay. can't do their shift, then you're called in to do it. Okay. Now, Talk a minute. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a day and age where we have frequent mass shootings. In a, in a situation, if if that took place in your town, would that be a backup thing too, where they say, we just need everyone here? Right. That would be a, yes, definitely. Okay. And they, they do test it out every once in a while. Like, call, you know, they have your cell phone nowadays. We don't have beepers and uh, pagers. So they just uh, put out a... a, a you know, a group email, a group uh, text saying, you know, this is a test mm -hmm. call in within the next five minutes. You know, we've had a mass shooting. This is yeah. just a test, but they just test it out every once in a while. Okay. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? I do. I do. I, um, I, you know, I try to do I, I tell people my hobby is my children and they're they're going to be going to college in a couple of years. So um, the drive, I used to be driving all the time, but now one of them is driving. So it's not as bad, but um, I mean, I've always tried to exercise like at least once or twice a week. You know, I may read because it helps me go to sleep, but uh -huh. I really don't have a whole lot of hobbies. Like I talk to these new attendings <laughs> and they're like uh, mountain climbing. And I mean, I love traveling, but I don't consider that a hobby or yeah. Uh, so I I do make I do love to travel. So we we do make probably one big trip every two years. Good. Like to Europe or you know South America or it just gets expensive. But yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. But it's worth it. You know, it's really nice to get away. Yeah. So what does the training path look like to become a pediatric emergency medicine physician? Uh, for uh, adult emergency medicine, you do a residency. Uh, some of those programs are four years, and then some of those emergency medicine programs are three years. And uh, for fellowship, for them, in our program, it's only two extra years of fellowship. But in some programs, it's three extra years, even if you did emergency medicine. Uh, for pediatrics, you do three years of pediatric residency, and then you're required by the American Academy of Pediatrics to do three years of fellowship. Interesting. So there's there's two routes into pediatric emergency medicine, either through uh, a, emergency medicine. Yeah. Pediatric emergency pediatrics. medicine, emergency medicine or pediatrics. Very cool. OK. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they're both fellowship training after that. Right. Right. OK. Unfortunately, we only have it's gone down in the number of emergency medicine residents that apply. Uh, most of them are pediatric residents. Why do you think that is? I think it's because. In emergency medicine, you can make your salary can be, you know, pretty good after getting out of uh, residency. Mm -hmm. So um, they don't really want to go go and do another fellow do a, no more training because they want to pay off their their loans. Yeah. Uh, whereas in pediatrics, I think um, I don't. I, they just. I just. I think that they they probably. Um, don't get it, you know, the people that really like a site excitement and ICU and uh, there's there's a lot there's a lot more of you know them that were willing to spend three extra years. Yeah. 
I mean, it may be because potentially the pay's not as good for yeah. general pediatrics. Yeah, and unfortunately, the, the decision of specialty, which shouldn't be based on pay, uh, oftentimes is just because of the debt load nowadays. Correct. It is. They're very mature. The residents getting out about how they're going to pay back their loans. Yeah. And it sounds like potentially you have people who are self-selecting into kind of a high intensity specialty right away, the emergency medicine physicians. And so maybe they, they don't, they don't need that extra training or they don't want that extra training. And then you have those who, who didn't potentially know that they were interested in high intensity training, the, the pediatric residents who are like, yeah, I think I do want something more. And then they, they right. take that extra training. Right. Exactly. That's exactly true. Because if you, most of the pediatric residents, like 75% of them go into just general peds, which is clinic yeah. and you're not going to see any intensity and they really will miss out on that. Yeah. For someone who doesn't want to do procedures, doesn't like to do procedures, is emergency medicine a good path for them? I don't think so. I, I think, you know, if people get really scared with stress or don't like to do procedures. Um, I don't think it's a good, probably a good profession. And ultrasound has become so prevalent now mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's procedure. And so uh, we do it for all, it's required for all central lines. Uh, so um, you're going to have to like to do procedures. Yeah. I really do believe you do. Okay. What is the, you mentioned you're the fellowship director there for, for a, let's say a a pediatric resident who may be listening to this, who wants to go into emergency medicine, what should he or she be doing to make themselves competitive to, to match into a fellowship? If they don't, are not associated, their um, medical school is not associated with uh, emergency medicine um, department. Like, I mean, there still are some out there that don't have, uh, pediatric emergency medicine uh, subboarded people working there, then rotate to an emergency room. Um, you know, it could be far away even, but a large ER that does have several, you know, even a freestanding children's hospital uh, that have, uh, you know, PEM subboarded physicians because um, you do need to get letters of recommendation for one. And uh, it's better if you get letters from a PEM subboarded person uh, than just like a pediatric, you know, attending. Um, like to see letters from uh, at least one PEM subordinate person, um, and then uh, so do your do away rotations, you know, if possible. Even even if you do have a PEM uh, pediatric emergency medicine department in your um, hospital, just because it improves your chances because they get to see you get to get a letter of maybe recommendation from them also. Um, and it, it helps expose yourself and, and, and helps um, show that, you know, you're a good worker and uh, the department, um, I'm sure, will look highly upon that because I know we do. Yeah. Um, also, research is a big part of your application. Uh, unfortunately, they like to see, um, I'm a little different because I'm kind of unbiased, but I know a lot of programs want, you know, to see um, an applicant be first author uh, mm. on a case series or a case report. Um, those are easier to get for medical students. So I'd recommend trying to do at least a case. Uh, it doesn't have to be emergency medicine, but um, in anything, they look for any scholarly activity. Grants, I mean, grants aren't expected, but it always looks great if you did get a grant. Yeah. 
for the osteopathic medical student listening to this, what does he or she need to do to overcome any potential negative bias towards them? Fortunately, I've been in at programs where um, there wasn't a negative bias towards them. Um, so I really can't um, give any advice other than uh, get a lot of research, you yeah. know, on your resume or even, uh, you know, regional talks that you've given, lectures, uh, just scholarly activity that's been disseminated on your CV. Um, you know, like medical school, they wanted you to see, you know, how much volunteer work and all that. But um, for fellowship, it's more so scholarly activity. And then also uh, if you're be a, a member or even an officer and some of these, um, you know, uh, academic um, committees that really helps. And I've seen that where uh, a lot of times medical students get on the quality committee for the hospital. So I think that would apply for, you know, DOs and MDs. Okay. What do you wish the pediatricians knew about pediatric emergency medicine to potentially help their patients and help you do a better job? You know, I didn't realize nowadays pediatricians don't have a lab or x-rays in their clinic. So, um, they do send their, their patients quite often, uh, mm. for those services. Um, uh, I mean, you hear in the news that, you know, people are using their ERs as their clinic and, uh, people are just wanting things done quickly. They don't have as much patience. And so they come to the ER because they don't want to wait to see their doctor in the morning. But, um, I, um, you know, it, it, it depends on their copay too, right? Because, yeah. uh, and then urgent cares have become so popular now, the copay is so much less, the parents will tell me than uh, coming to the ER. But for pediatricians, I they they know that we can do, most of them know that we can do all those services, but uh, maybe some of them don't. Um, and we and a lot of them don't know like uh, that we do have a nephrologist, we do have uh, a cardiologist, um, we do have dental. So a lot of it is they, they do call us on our spectral links all the time, just asking our opinion or asking us, if we have these services or do they think that we should have them to patient transferred in. And so, um, it, it does, it does help them, uh, know, uh, more or less where, you know, if they can, if they don't feel comfortable to send them in, it's better. Uh, we don't have telemedicine at our hospital yet, but uh, that's the new way of doing things is they can actually see the patient and mm. kind of decide whether or not they need to come in right now versus later. Yeah. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for pediatric emergency medicine physicians? I had a medical student one time talk to me and they said, you know, um, I thought about um, emergency medicine, but um, when you get older, you're not able to just go work in the ER the rest of your life. You know, uh, you can't go to a clinic like a pediatrician can, you know, um, I could potentially work in a, a clinic, um, you know, if you break your hip or do something, uh, but you can't be walking around the ER with a broken hip, you know, you have to act quickly. So, uh, I mean, she really had looked at the ins and outs of like when she would, you know, get up there in years, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go work in urgent care? Uh, and that's, that's one thing that is different is like, if you go into pediatrics, you'll be able to emergency medicine, um, uh, you could go into, uh, 
a purely academic role. If you go to medical school, you could uh, work as a pediatrician in urgent care. You know, you could work as a general pediatrician. Um, whereas uh, for emergency medicine, it's harder because a lot of them try to go into physical medicine or mm. ultrasound or something where uh, they won't. It won't be so stressful uh, on their body. Yeah. What do you like the most about being a pediatric emergency medicine physician? Oh, I, I still, I still like the action. Uh, everybody kept telling me that, you know, I'd be going out to the community in a, a few years, you know, uh, I'm over 40 and uh, over 50. So they'd say, oh, you're going to be just, you know, wanting to go into the community and see the coughs and colds and never have any action. But um, I, I still like the action. I still like uh, doing CPR. I still, I still enjoy procedures. I still enjoy, uh, I think I do most of my teaching on those subjects, mm. you know, uh, on resuscitation. I do mock codes. Um, I do um, I do a lot of simulation in the, in the simulation center uh, for, for procedures, for mock codes. Uh, so I still enjoy that. And um, I don't think um, I'd probably be fulfilled if I didn't I didn't have that one code yeah. um, <laughs> a month or a week. <laughs> It'd be unfulfilling to me. Yeah. What do you like the least? You know, I, I do like the resuscitations, but if it goes bad, then, you know, it's, it's the, uh, you know, telling the family that their loved one has died. Um, you know, that, that's, that's just really hard. There's a lot of drama, uh, behind, you know, uh, every illness in the emergency room. Um, and so you're going to have to be used to, uh, spending time with the family. And even though you may have to go back to the ER and take care of other patients, um, you know, you have to sp really spend time with them and um, letting them know what happened to their loved one. Do you see any major changes coming to pediatric emergency medicine that someone should be aware of? Um, um, not right now. I mean, I just feel like... Um, we have to be more cost effective because uh, of the cost of emergency medicine care. But luckily I was taught by a Canadian. <laughs> so uh, I was taught, I think I, I, anything I try to teach the residents, don't just order a bunch of labs, go see the patient and, yeah. and really decide what you need to order because um, that's what's killing us nowadays with the cost of healthcare is just ordering too many things. So let me ask you a question about that, because when I was in my training, it seemed like the hospital loved the emergency medicine docs who ordered a ton of stuff because that was revenue for the hospital. Is is that do you do you see a, a potential pushback from administration from the hospital to say why why aren't you doing more more labs? You're you're behind compared to your other colleagues. Uh, yes, it does, and especially uh, in the community. Luckily, in the academic institution. Uh, I don't think it counts as much because you're not RVU based. Yeah. Um, but um, I still, I still believe you have to practice good medicine, and it doesn't yeah. mean ordering all those tests. It's just, um, it's hard on the on the patient. Yeah. Know? It's hard to, on the government. I agree. So, I didn't, I didn't train in, in Canada, but I trained uh, under a um, a residency program director who was Canadian. So yeah. he didn't let us order anything until we asked him. <laughs> and we justified it I like with it. literature. Yeah, that's awesome. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a pediatric emergency medicine physician? Yes, I would. I would. 
Any last words of wisdom for the maybe future pediatrician who now is like, oh, this emergency medicine thinks, uh, thing sounds kind of cool or for someone else who, who wants to explore this a little bit more? Um, I think it's a great life. Um, it's, 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 uh, very gratifying. Um, it's very diverse population. It's exciting. It's something that, um, um, you'll always appreciate and, uh, never get bored. All right. There you have it. Pediatric emergency medicine. Hopefully that's exposed you a little bit more to what pediatric emergency medicine looks like, the paths that you can take to pediatric emergency medicine, whether it's through EM or through PEDS, and then doing the three or two, two or three year fellowship in pediatric emergency medicine. And again, like I mentioned earlier, next week, you'll see kind of a different route to doing the similar thing if you're interested in PEDS and EM and potentially even doing adult emergency medicine as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. If you have a specialty that you were dying to hear that maybe I haven't covered yet, or you know of, of a physician who will be an amazing guest on this podcast, I would love for you to shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.